if you want to avoid all the sickness this winter, the snotty noses, the coughs, the colds, the sleepless nights, the fevers, the Panadol and the antibiotics, the ear infections, the grumpy, tired kids, the days off work and school and childcare, are all those memories of last winter coming back? I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way this winter. I have a free online masterclass, three simple ways to boost your kids' immunity to avoid a winter full of sickness. It's on demand, meaning you can register and watch it straight away or watch it at a time that is convenient for you. Head on over to naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune and you will be able to sign up. In the masterclass, I am covering our natural, simple and effective approach to avoiding winter infections, how to boost your family's immunity with our proven three-step naturopathic strategy that is really easy for you to implement as a busy mum. We're going to talk about the immune depleters that you need to avoid so you're not wasting time and money building up your kids' immunity that is just being depleted by these common foods and environmental factors. I am sharing heaps of practical tips. I promise it will be an hour well spent. You can register again at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune. I can't wait to hear how you find it and to give you the tips to make this winter healthier. Welcome to the Natural Super Kids podcast, where you will discover practical strategies to inspire you to boost the health and nutrition of your kids. I'm Jessica Donovan, a qualified naturopath specializing in kids' health, and I want to make it as easy as possible for you to raise healthy and happy kids. Let's get into it. In today's podcast episode, I am talking to the lovely Lauren Brown from Stutter Free Kids. Lauren is a pediatric speech pathologist, childhood stuttering specialist, and the founder of Stutter Free Kids, where she offers online appointments and support to kids who are struggling or challenged with stuttering. Um, And over the 12 years of supporting families to help their children speak stutter-free using the Lincomb program, Lauren noticed a pattern in the children that she was working with. She noticed that the vast majority of children that she saw for stuttering were consistently impacted by their internal and their external environment, and it was negatively impacting the success of treatment. And so now she's developed a unique approach to helping kids speak stutter free um, with, you know, really a holistic approach using the healing power of play, connection, brain care, and managing sensitivity and overload to ensure the success of stuttering treatment. Our conversation was really interesting. I learned a lot about stuttering. I loved Lauren's holistic approach. Um, And we talk a lot about sensitive children, highly sensitive children, because 
she noticed, as I was just saying, that the vast majority of kids that have struggles with stuttering are highly sensitive. So it's really important to address that um, in her therapy as well. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lauren. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Natural Super Kids podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to Lauren today. Um, hello, Lauren. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be doing what you're doing today? Okay, so I'm Lauren. Um, I'm a paediatric speech pathologist and I specialise in stuttering, childhood stuttering in particular. Um, I'm also the owner of Stutter Free Kids, which is an online telehealth private practice uh, specifically for stuttering support. Um, I've been working for, gosh, I think it's like getting on close to 14 years now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I've only been specialising in stuttering um, for the last five. I've always worked with stuttering, but it's been the last five that I've really, um, you know, solely worked on on stuttering therapy. Um, but I work a little bit differently to most other speech therapists in the stuttering field um, because I tend to take a very holistic whole child approach to stuttering therapy. Um, so in particular, I look for the importance of uh, temperament on stuttering as a really high portion of children who stutter tend to have a more sensitive temperament or are considered highly sensitive children. And I just came across you on Instagram, I was saying before we started recording, and that's what I really drew me to you is that that holistic approach, because that's what we're all about here at Natural Super Kids. So, and I also was saying that I don't know a lot about stuttering. So I'm really interested to learn from you as well. Um, can we start by, um, well, I just want to ask you, what are some of the key things that would be helpful for parents to know about stuttering? Yeah, so for most parents, it's not something that they really have ever had much exposure to until their child starts stuttering. Um, you know, for a lot of kids, it even can happen in one day. They can go from, you know, one day being completely fluent in their speech to the next day waking up with a stutter. So um, it is a, a condition that tends to create a bit of anxiety and stress in parents um, it, because it tends to develop after very normal language um, and it tends to happen in those preschool years mostly between sort of two to sometimes up to five would be the typical onset time um, but that's generally associated with the fact that that's the time where language is exploding so we're going from, you know, more simple one and two word phrases to often jumping into big, more complex sentences. So it has a really strong correlation between that um, language development and when complexity is sort of coming into the mix um, because stuttering and complexity are very linked. Um, so anything that overloads a child system is likely to create more stuttering, um, which is where that sensitivity and temperament comes into it. Um, so not every stutter that starts is going to be a stutter that needs to be treated. Um, you know, if you walked into any preschool or kindy, you're probably going to hear a vast majority of preschoolers are making simple repetitions in their words, things like, where is, where is my car or my, my mum said this. And we hear these little repetitions um, and they're pretty typical. And, you know, there's a portion of those that won't ever develop into anything more than that. And as that language development grows, that will just fade away. 
Um, but there is a, another portion of children who will actually continue on with that disfluency and will often um, get worse over time and that without input, without uh, speech therapy, that can go on lifelong and can result in some pretty significant lifelong um, implications and, you know, the, the research around lifelong sort of impacts of stuttering can be pretty significant, um, you know, from if you can imagine you know, anything that disrupts our ability to communicate freely has an impact on, you know, our relationships, on our self-esteem, on, you know, how the types of uh, jobs that we might go for, you know, can impact everything, you know, all the way through to, you know, significant mental health. So it's a really important area that we're aware of um, because we have a really lovely little window of opportunity in these early childhood years where we can treat stuttering really, really effectively. Um, and for a lot of kids, uh, make it that they don't have to deal with those lifelong um, implications where the stutter can actually go away um, and and a lot of children won't ever know that they were even treated for stuttering. Yeah, so it sounds like that sort of early intervention is key. Absolutely, yes. I think, you know, in most in most paediatric fields, yet that early intervention is really what we're looking for. Um, and, you know, I've worked with with children as young as sort of two years, which you think, oh, gosh, you couldn't do anything with that. But, yes, you absolutely can. Um, and, you know, all the way up until sort of those late sort of tween years, like 10, 11, even up to 12 sometimes, um, can be still within the range of where we can get rid of that stutter. Um, after that point, after that, you know, that window has closed, stuttering can always be um, addressed and supported and improved quite significantly. And some children were, are still able to, with the right support, go on to not need um, ongoing intervention. But it is a lot harder and it does require um, a different approach and, and that the, the child is actually supported to be able to modify the way they speak. So it's a lot more uh, intensive and cognitively difficult for the child once we miss that little window of opportunity in early childhood. Yeah. Okay. That's really great to know. And you said before that you've your approach is a little different, a little unique. Can you tell us a little bit more about your approach to helping children speak stutter-free? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, I've been working with children who stutter for a really long time um, and using the Australian Lidcom program. And part of that program is that we keep a daily rating scale. The parents keep a daily rating scale on um, the severity that they're hearing for their child's stutter on that day. Um, and then they bring that with them to their session and we look over it together and we end up with this little lovely little graph over time. Um, and over time, when you start to notice, okay, there's certain patterns in this disfluency, I started getting parents to kind of write down and note down, okay, what was happening when the numbers were going higher? What was happening when the numbers were going lower? Um, and this was many years ago, but I started to notice there's these patterns where it was certain things like, oh, we, um, you know, it was a birthday party and they were really exhausted and they ate all this sugar and then they didn't have a sleep. And then grandma came to visit and, you know, these layered events of um, things that were looking like, um, traits of sensitivity and you know particularly of being overstimulated or overloaded and um, I had always worked in stuttering but I hadn't really delved into much of the research so then I started to get curious and dialed in and found there's actually a lot of um, information out there that uh, links stuttering with temperament and with regulation and how um, sensitive the child's temperament is has a very big impact on um, their outcomes with stuttering. 
And I'm highly sensitive myself. I'd known that for years. And so as soon as I started looking at that, I started bringing in the, you know, highly sensitive child tests and testing my clients. And, you know, this one study in particular looked at, you know, around 84, 85% of stuttering clients were highly sensitive. And my numbers were equal to that, if not sometimes a bit higher, more like 90% of the kids that I was seeing for stuttering were also highly sensitive. Um, And you know, high sensitivity um, is also something that a lot of people don't really understand or know much about. And because it is generally speaking only around 20 to 30% of the population. So it is a minority of people. So we're not really exposed to what that means. And I think sensitivity has this sort of, uh, you know, negative connotation for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Don't be so sensitive, you know, it's not yeah, necessarily a good thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but high sensitivity, you know, when it's when we're talking about it in this sort of psychological term, it dictates how a nervous system is taking on information. So a highly sensitive nervous system is more attuned to its environment. So it's going to hear that noise that the other person might not hear. It's going to feel the scratchy tag on the back of the clothing. It's going to smell a new smell that, you know, might not be a food that they've eaten before and they're going to go, "Mm -mm, that's not happening or get overloaded by a busy environment or by a loud noise or you know, an environment with lots of visual clutter or lights or things going on. So, um, you know, and then that's just the physical world. And then we look into the emotions where there's a higher level of empathy and a higher level of um, emotional reactiveness and, you know, often an ability to be able to sort of perceive what the people that are around them are feeling and experiencing and take on those emotions. So we have so many points within a highly sensitive nervous system where overload is likely and anytime we have overload in a system that has stuttering, we're going to see more stuttering. And so the two correlate, you know, very, very easily, but they also, it also means we have to be really, really aware if a child is highly sensitive of what's happening in their whole environment so that we can actually reduce down those triggers that are making the stuttering worse all the time so that the treatment can actually work more effectively. Yes. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, like you said, it's that overloaded kind of brain and those sensitive kids get that more easily, don't they, from their environment? Yeah, absolutely. And they're more sensitive to everything, more sensitive to chemicals, more sensitive to, you know, more likely to have food sensitivities. They're more likely to have skin sensitivities or, you know, react to, you know, the laundry detergent or, you know, whatever it might be. It's not um, just one thing. It is across the board a a more sensitive um, physical, emotional experience with the world. Yes. And I'm guessing, you know, these kids probably have higher rates of anxiety, They're probably quite commonly fussy eaters, which is something that we talk about a lot at Natural Super Kids because of that sensitivity. So, yeah, really interesting that it's all very, very intertwined. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we tell if our kids are highly sensitive? I mean, from from a parent's perspective, I think we probably, you know, parents probably have an inkling, but is there actually a way, a way to know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Elaine Aaron is the author of the book, The Highly Sensitive Person and The Highly Sensitive Child. She's got a number of uh, just free little, um, you know, tick and flick type questionnaires that you can do. There's actually one linked on my website for The Highly Sensitive Child. Um, Lots of other people have also come up with their own high sensitivity tests over the years, but I like hers. Um, But 
I think also once we start talking about high sensitivity, if you've got a highly sensitive child at home, you've probably already been nodding along with, you know, oh, yeah, the scratchy tag. Oh, yeah, they don't like wearing shoes. Oh, yeah, when their hands are sticky, they don't like that either. Or, you know, they didn't like it when we surprised them for their birthday or we start to get this like rolling cascade of nodding. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, there's a little acronym that I like, which is a really simple way, and it's DOES, D-O-E-S. Um, D is for depth of processing. So highly sensitive children tend to process information um, more thoroughly. They take longer to sort of warm up to new experiences. Um, they're the ones that, you know, they watch something or hear something on the radio and then an hour later they go, Mom, what does that mean? And they've been mulling it over that whole time. Um, there's overstimulation, which is what we've already sort of been speaking about with their whole environment, whether it's sensory or whether it's physical or whether it's emotional or, you know, we've got all of those ways of being overstimulated. Um, then the E is for emotional responsiveness and empathy. So these kids tend to be the ones that will, um, you know, watch a Disney film and not want to watch from halfway through once the, you know, the scary or the sad scenes start or that the ones that are more likely to notice, that, you know, mum comes home and or mum looks a bit upset, mum's angry or mum's sad or there's something going on in their environment that they're picking up. Um, and then the last one is S, which is sensitive to subtle stimuli. So that's noticing the things that other people don't necessarily notice or other kids wouldn't pay attention to. And that can be within their own system, things like the scratchy tag, or it could be like, oh, you've got new tyres on your car, <laughs> that sort of thing. You're like, oh, wouldn't expect you to notice that. You know, they are more perceptive to their environment in general. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, that's that's great. That's a really practical acronym that you know, parents can go through. And I'll be sure to link that little test from your website in the show notes if anyone's interested in in having a look at that as well. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to stuttering, like you said, there's that kind of, I guess, that range that's a little bit normal in, in preschool that, that maybe don't go on to having long-term issues and don't really need any sort of treatment or support. So, when when should a parent reach out for support with stuttering? Like when's the right time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's the the general red flags that you know I'll list, but the very first one is if you're worried, if you're distressed, because often it happens very quickly. And there's a very sudden from zero to a thousand with a stutter turning up. Um, and I don't think that parents should just sit around being worried and, you know, stressing and having anxiety. And because it's it's going to be exposed every single time your child speaks and, you know, how you're responding and reacting to your child, especially if they're sensitive, every time they speak, if they're seeing you tense up and, you know, oh, and see that worried look on your face every single time far better to reach out on day one than to wait, you know, and any, you know, block of time to reach out to somebody to kind of get that reassurance, um, just even from a factor of, you know, getting a bit of information to understand it better. Um, if your child's been stuttering for a while and you're not really worried about it, there's, you know, the general red flags we look for, which is, you know, a stutter being present for more than six months. Um, family history is a really big one. So it's a very genetic, um, you know, based condition. So if there is anybody in the family that has a stutter, 
it's a very good idea to um, get that looked at straight away because there's a very limited chance that that stuff's going to go away on its own if we've got a family history. And it can be even, you know, oh, grandpa's uncle, <laughs> you know, it can be really far back. And it is often more common with boys. And so ask the dads, ask the grandpas, you know, go back in the male lines. Um, they're the ones that often didn't talk about it and won't talk about it until you ask the question. So it's it's often good to ask. Um other ones to look at would be a more significant stuttering behaviors. So the ones I sort of, you know, imitated at the beginning where it's like, where's my, where's my car? Where it's a very simple little repetition of a phrase, like where's my versus a sound getting stuck. Where's my car? Where it's a smaller portion of that word. Um, or sometimes that sound might get stretched out. Like where's my car? And then sometimes no sound will come out at all and that sound actually gets blocked and you can see a child actually holding their breath or getting really um, physically um, stressed with trying to get a word out. So anytime you see anything where it looks like there's a lot of physical distress there or emotional distress there to get that word out, definitely that would be a time to um, to make the call. Um, and the other one would be if the stutter is impacting the message. So for some kids, you know, they might have a lot of stuttering going on, but you can still get everything that they're saying. It's not impacting the message. They're not giving up. You can follow it. A stranger can follow what they're saying. But if that stutter becomes the most dominant part of their conversation where you're actually start, starting to struggle to really follow what they're telling you or you can see they're actually changing what they're going to tell you because that was too hard or they're giving up and going, oh, don't worry about it. Anytime that message isn't anymore coming through with clarity and ease, definitely time to to jump in and, and speak to somebody because yeah we want kids to have a positive experience of communication and we want it to be that what they have to say is the most important part not how they're saying it yeah definitely and I love that I mean it's just a matter of like sort of reaching out for support if you're unsure like your first point if you're at all worried or anxious because I I'm just imagining there's a lot of, you know, a lot of shame, or maybe like in past generations as well, when you were saying, um, you know, it's more common in the male sort of side and whether you know that grandpa's uncle stuttered, you know, it, it might not be that obvious. It might not be something that you talk about. And that just made me think like, if, if you, if your child starts to stutter, like, I guess our reaction to that is really important as parents. Have you got any sort of tips there while people are sort of waiting to, to get support? Absolutely. And I think that is the, you know, the other difficult part is the waiting lists are really long um, and getting support um, straight away can be difficult. Um, and uh, we spoke about it before we started recording, but I'm creating a program at the moment specifically for that um, to have you know, access to support um, from day one if parents are looking for it um, because it can be hard to access it immediately. Um, but there are little strategies you can do, you know, that are going to help regardless, um, especially for a sensitive child is, you know, if you think your child is highly sensitive and they're stuttering, um, have a look at their environment, you know, seeing if, you know, if they're stuttering and you're in the car and you've got siblings who are talking and the radio's on and the dog's barking, see what you can tone down. Can you turn the radio off? Can you ask an older sibling to hold on a second while we let the little one say something? You know, looking at where we can reduce that overload or, you know, especially noise overload, turning TVs off, turning radios down, um, you know. But then also 
if a child is, you know, stuttering and they're trying to get your attention and there's competing forces from other people, seeing where you can kind of, you know, create an environment where one can wait and the other one can have their turn and we can kind of slow that whole communication process down. Um, Getting down to a child's level, making sure they can see your face, slowing your own rate of speech can be really good. We all, you know, we all speak so quickly. Um, so anything you can do that's going to simplify that system of communication um, is going to be a helpful, a helpful thing for a child who's stuttering. And we just want to make sure we avoid anything that goes into the criticizing basket of, you know, say it again or stop that or, you know, just take a breath or because it's not something kids are doing on purpose and it's not something they can control. So we want to try and reduce their stress and reduce their overload um, and asking them to do anything like say it again or stop or take a breath or just get it out or anything like that is going to increase that you know, that stress, that overload. Yeah, that's a great that's a great tip and really important to know that it's not something they're doing on on purpose. So we've got to be, you know, patient and reduce that that stress load and that sensory load. So good. And um I just love that you're creating a program because it's, you know, it's something that as you said you don't want to wait too long to get support with, but if it's going to be taking six months to get in to see someone about it, um, you know, that could really interfere with that window of time. So tell us more. I know you're sort of in the process of creating the program, but tell us more about where we can find more out about you and your services and this new program that you're creating. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website is probably the easiest place to find that information. So it's stutterfreekids.com. At the moment, I have a little wait list um, capture form on there. So you can put your email down if you're interested in the program. Um, It is called Fluency Foundations. So it is really about um, all of those foundational needs that are, you know, important when a child is stuttering, whether they're in current speech therapy or whether you're on a wait list or whether you're in that wait and see period where it hasn't been six months yet and often therapists won't see a child before it's been six months but there's a big opportunity there for those children to be supported and to be um, you know boosting the foundations of that fluency really so that's probably the best place to go website for both of that um, the information about me and the wait list Um, and then I'm also on Instagram at stutterfreekids so pretty simple, same name everywhere. Um, yes, you've made it nice and easy for people to find you. And we'll be sure to link up your website and your Instagram in the show notes. So if anyone, um, you know, wants an easy way to find Lauren, they can just come over to the to the show notes and we'll have everything linked there. And that little um, test will link in as well. Um, yeah. And I, as I said, I found you on Instagram. So you, you make it fun. You, you're doing reels like I am. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah. So I think you're getting, you know, you're getting some, like people can come and just have a look at what you're doing over on Instagram and get some really great tips as well. Absolutely. And that is a really big part of, you know, what I do as well as I, you know, am always advocating and wanting to educate, you know, regardless of, you know, how anybody else can access my information. It's just nice to be able to have free content available for people because, you know, there's people all over the world that contact and, you know, don't always have the opportunity to to see one-on-one. So it is it's a great platform for for education. Yeah. And that's the great thing about technology, isn't it? You can sort of get your your message out and your your wisdom and your knowledge out to people, um, you know, far and wide. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much. It's been great to be here. See you later. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Head on over to our website, naturalsuperkids.com for the show notes for this episode, as well as a whole heap of inspiration to help you raise healthy and happy kids. I'll see you next week. Before you go, don't forget about my free online on-demand masterclass, Three Simple Ways to Naturally Boost Your Kids' Immunity to Avoid a Winter Full of Sickness. I'm sharing my practical tips on ways that you can strengthen your whole family's immune system to avoid the onslaught of winter infections so your family can stay healthy and well this winter. You can sign up at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune.